At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. So great to be here worshiping with all of you. If I look kind of funny, uh, it's because I have this new thing that's like mask beard. It's kind of like what hat hair was, but now it's just it indents and things, so give me some grace. But I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, uh, which actually turned out to be a white Christmas, right? Who knew? I didn't know that was coming. We had a nice blanket of snowfall. It was very pretty. And we thank God for that. But come on, at the same time, let's pray that it just doesn't continue all the way through April. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Um, if you spent any time relaxing and kind of chilling out and, and watching YouTube videos uh, over the holidays, you may have come across something by a guy named Mark Rober. And Mark Rober is a former NASA engineer. And every year around this time, he puts together a video and he releases it. And these are glitter bomb videos. Anyone ever seen something like this? It's really entertaining. Uh, what I mean is he creates an elaborate package. NASA engineer, <laughs> right? It's got multiple cameras inside of it. Um, and it's designed to catch what he calls porch pirates, right? These people who steal packages off of people's porches, especially during the holiday season. Um, and so with all of these cameras and it's tracked by GPS, he then follows them and eventually... When they open the package, not only are they caught on camera as they do it, not only does he know where they are with the GPS tracking, but there's loud flashing lights and sirens. Fart spray is emitted to put them off. <laughs> and the main attraction, of course, an explosion of the finest glitter that is so hard to get out. So he's punishing them and he's kind of catching these criminals at the same time. And if you've seen these, they're entertaining. And he was watching one of these videos, these glitter bomb videos. And over to the side, of course, there's recommended videos. Click, right? Like made sure I tick tack that out too. And apparently he made another video uh, way back in April. And this was when we were all quarantined. And Mark Rober thought, hey, what better to do when you're stuck at home and become a bird watcher? Right? They're here. May as well take a look at them. And so he set out to put out these bird feeders. But what he found out is that the bird feeders attracted more squirrels than birds. Uh, and so he tried several different bird feeders, all of them claiming to be squirrel-proof bird feeders. Uh, but sure enough, the squirrels proved themselves to be smarter than these squirrel-proof bird feeders. So not to be outdone, this NASA engineer took to the books and he put all of his expertise and his training into creating the ultimate squirrel-proof bird feeder. And it ended up looking like what I think like a, a backyard obstacle course for squirrels. So I brought a brief video clip of this, if we can show that. Trust my calculations, I can assure you that the squirrels did not care. In both launch cases, they were back up on the course in like five minutes. Here's the slow-mo and see if you can spot the two critical things he does to make sure he lands feet down. Did you catch it? The first critical moment is right here. He's already done the predictive all right, so you see what I mean, right? Like in order to even get to the feeder, these squirrels had to navigate that suspension ladder, a maze, optical illusions. I'm talking pressure activated hydraulic launch pads here, right? All kinds of obstacles got in their way. 
And this video was just released seven months ago, and it has already been viewed over 53 million times. Uh, and there are a number of reasons for that, of course. Uh, I suspect, first of all, there's the nature of social media now, right? Just allowing things to be spread and shared so rapidly. Uh, secondly, of course, if you remember, I said this came out while masses of people were locked down in quarantine with kind of a lot of extra time on their hands. But really, I think one of the reasons that this resonates so well with so many people is we all kind of relate to these squirrels in some way, right? I mean, there is no denying that we have gone through a lot this past year. Uh, it's just been one obstacle after another. And so as looking back on this, we have, we've seen record-setting wildfires. We've faced an intense Atlantic hurricane season. Uh, there were locust storms wreaking havoc on crops. There, there was a brief scare about killer hornets. Kind of glad that didn't become more of a thing. Um, there was, of course, the, the death of George Floyd, uh, leading to the surge of the Black Lives Matter movement and even uh, protests and riots. Uh, of course, there's the outbreak of this mysterious new virus called COVID-19, which caused all of our daily rhythms and routines to be shut down, just come to a screeching halt. And as a result, stock markets went crazy and unemployment skyrocketed. And all of this is happening during an already tense highly divisive presidential election year. One unexpected event, one shock, one crisis after another. And so the question before us today, and really what we've all been faced with, whether you realize it or not, is what do we do in the face of these unexpected events? What do we do when an unexpected crisis comes? How is it that God calls us to respond specifically as Christians during times like these. And what we're going to see is that God's people fight fear with faith. So if you would please join me in your Bibles or your smart devices, fire up that Bible app if you have it, and find yourself with me in the book of Isaiah, chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. And while you find your place, I'm going to give you a little bit of context just to help you understand what's happening here. This is the story of King Hezekiah. Uh, he is noted as one of the best kings for God's people in all of the Old Testament. He's actually the son of Ahaz, who was one of the absolute worst kings. And so that should be a reminder to us, that should help encourage us that God can take someone from even the worst possible background and redeem that person's life, turning it around for their good and for God's glory. And that's what he did for Hezekiah. And so we read, when we read about Hezekiah, we read things like this. He lived a good and righteous life. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, he was a man of great faith. From, from 2 Kings uh, 18, we read this. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. Now, King Hezekiah reigned in the southern kingdom of the promised land in a place called Jerusalem. Uh, and at this point, God's people are constantly being threatened by a group called the Assyrians. Uh, in fact, the Assyrian army had already 
um, invaded and taken over the northern kingdom and completely dispersed the 10 tribes that made up the northern kingdom. And so now the king of Assyria is up there and he has his eyes set on conquering the southern kingdom as well. And so he sends a letter, very nice of him, to King Hezekiah demanding their surrender. And so what does Hezekiah do? Well, he takes the letter into the temple, he spreads it out before the Lord, and he prayed. He prayed from the bottom of his heart. We read about this in 2 Kings 19, 19. It says, so now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And so when this man of God was facing fear, he fought back with faith. And God answers Hezekiah's prayer in a remarkable way, which you'll have to read about for yourself. But then in the very next chapter, right, in chapter 20, we are told that in those days, Hezekiah became sick. So here's this great king, a godly man, the one who stood before God as the intercessor, praying for God's people, and now he is sick. In fact, what we're about to see is that he is on his deathbed. God had delivered him from one crisis, and now he finds himself facing another. So let's read this together. Isaiah 38, starting in verse 1, says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So the first thing I want you to see is that when unexpected crisis comes, if we are going to fight our fears with faith, we must turn to the Lord in prayer. We must turn to the Lord in prayer. This is a terrible sickness. It came to a godly man at the worst possible time, if there ever really is a good time for something like that. And then Hezekiah gets this special visit from Isaiah the prophet. And this prophet has a message from God. Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, buddy. You are going to die. You shall not recover. And this is, of course, devastating. This is devastating. And, and when these things happen to us, our lives, which seem so sure, so planable, so predictable, they suddenly seem very fragile and vulnerable. And so we have all kinds of questions that begin flooding our minds, right? Whether it's wildfires or hurricanes or COVID-19 or anything else, we have questions. What is this going to mean for, for me and my job? How long is this going to last? How is this going to impact my family, my loved ones? Put yourself in, in the shoes of the Israelites in our passage. What, how do they feel? What kind of questions do they have? Are we going to lose our political leader? How is that going to impact our country? What will our future look like then? Or put yourself in Hezekiah's shoes. Here's King Hezekiah. He's incredibly ill, and he's on his deathbed. He receives a word from the Lord, from the prophet Isaiah, and there are all kinds of questions that he might have wanted to ask Isaiah, 
How long do I have to live? Why is this happening to me? Where is God in all of this? But instead, what is Hezekiah's first instinct? What is the first thing he does when he is faced with this incredible crisis in his life? Verse 2, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. You see, God's people are praying people. It is a symbol of our unique relationship with the Lord. It's an incredible privilege, right? That we have access to the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe at any moment. And it is what unleashes the power of God in our lives. Time and time again, we see in the Bible that there is power in prayer. When we pray to God in relationship to him through Jesus in the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, it has the power to change things. You see, some people that I know, they'll say things like, prayer isn't meant to change things. It's not meant to change the circumstances of your life. It's meant to change us. It's meant to change our hearts. And certainly, there are times when that is the case, at least from our perspective. But when we look at God's Word, There are also a number of times when prayer seems to literally change the course of history. And this is one of these times. Isaiah came with a word of the Lord saying, set your house in order, you are surely going to die. And if Hezekiah had not prayed, that is exactly what we are to believe would have happened. But instead, we read about the result of Hezekiah's prayer in verse 4, read with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. This is again. Go, say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. And so Isaiah first came with a word of judgment from the Lord telling Hezekiah to get his house in order, that he's not going to recover from this illness, that he is surely going to die. However, Hezekiah faced this incredible fear with incredible faith. And he turns to the Lord in prayer. And God hears his prayer. God sees the tears of Hezekiah as he weeps bitterly. And in response, God sends Isaiah back to the king with a new message. In fact, in the parallel passage from 2 Kings that we read earlier, It reveals that Isaiah hadn't even gotten out of the gates of the palace yet before this happened, before God spoke to him again. So this is almost an immediate answer to King Hezekiah's prayer. And Isaiah returns to tell Hezekiah that as a result of his prayer, instead of imminent death, God is going to add 15 years to King Hezekiah's life. Prayer does indeed have the power to change things. And just to be clear, this is not the only time we see something like this in the scriptures. For instance, when God's judgment is going to fall on two cities, Abraham, another man of God, intercedes for them and God's mercy is seen to prevail. We see this very clearly in the story of Noah, or Jonah, sorry, where God sends Jonah to Nineveh with a message of judgment, right? 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
And yet, when the Ninevites heard the word of God, they repented of their sins and they called on the name of the Lord. Here's what the scriptures say. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring to them. And he did not do it. You see, God is sovereign and he is in control over all things. And yet, Somehow, God's sovereignty includes the prayers of his people. How incredible is that? That you get to be a part of that. And so when unexpected crisis comes, we can and we should turn to the Lord in prayer. Okay? But if I'm being honest, and I'm always honest, (laughs) that's not always my first response. It's not always the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, Instead, when unexpected crisis comes, I tend to get analytical. I tend to look at the books. I go into problem-solving mode. Uh, I try my best in my own power and my own strength and my own ability to do damage control, right? To to mitigate my losses. That's my first response. And honestly, sometimes... I'm ashamed to say this, it's not until my own resources are absolutely depleted and I am utterly exhausted that I finally say, well, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray. And so prayer becomes a last resort instead of a first response. That's not what we see in this passage at all. What we see demonstrated by this godly king is that if we are going to fight our fears with faith, we must turn to the Lord in prayer. But then also, we must rely on the Lord's provision. We must learn to rely on the Lord's provision. Verses 9 through 20 give us a glimpse into Hezekiah's prayer life as he struggles with this illness until he's finally healed. And it's very raw. It's very honest. It's an authentic account of both his feelings and his very real fears. And we don't have time to go through it all in detail But just to highlight some of it, if you want to look over it with me, he says, I'm only a middle-aged man, and already I'm assigned to death in verse 10. I shall look on man no more, verse 11. He says, I feel like I've been cut off from life, verse 12. Like all my bones are breaking and, and I'm being brought to my end, verse 13. I am oppressed and I am weary, verse 14. In other words, He is upset because he's only in the middle of his life. And think about it, there are so many unrealized dreams and aspirations, right? So many good intentions that would now become missed opportunities for him. He's also upset because he's not going to see his loved ones again. And the weight of all of this is building on him, it is adding on him, and it is crushing him. And so in verse 15, he says, I'm not okay with this. I am bitter about this. I don't understand it. And we can really get a sense of where he's coming from. Listen, this is not filled with religious platitudes here. Right? He doesn't say, well, when times get tough, just lean on the Lord. No, he is He is real. He is honest. He's very forthcoming with his feelings and his fears. And all of this comes to us in the form of a prayer. He is sharing these things with God. And then finally, in verse 16, he says, Please, God, do for me what I cannot do for myself. 
restore me to health and make me live. That's his request. And the Lord is pleased to answer this prayer. But here's what I want you to see. God does so by both ordinary and extraordinary means. Okay, so we're going to look at both of these. First, let's look at the extraordinary. These are the things that only God can do, right? If, if we pick this up where we left off in verse 7, it says, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the 10 steps, but 10 steps by which it had declined. Now, in our day, this would look like the hands of a clock spinning backwards, right? Spinning in the opposite direction, except it's even more than, than just the hands of a clock moving, right? I mean, we're talking about the course of the sun changing direction, reversing its course in the sky. It's crazy, right? Why would God do this? Why would God do such an incredible thing? Well, in the parallel passage, again, in 2 Kings 20, which we mentioned earlier, a lot of it reads exactly the same, right? The king is ill. Isaiah tells him he's going to die. The king turns to the wall and he prays, but we're given just a few extra details. In 2 Kings 20, verses 4 and 5, it says this, And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you on the third day. You shall go up to the house of the Lord. And so listen, because this is important. What we have before us is a story of a godly king who is brought to the point of death and God hears his prayer and God raised him up to new life on the third day. You see, just like the covenants that we looked at in our last series, this is a miraculous sign that is given in a prophetic story that points us to Jesus Christ. The one who's not just a king, but is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who's not just a godly man, but is the God man the only one who lived a sinless, righteous life before the Lord. And even though he lived this perfect life, Jesus is told that he too will die as a middle-aged man, that the sun is coming down, it is setting on his last day, that darkness is creeping in, and he is going to be removed from his friends and his family whom he loved so dearly. And so what does he do? He too prays and he weeps. He even sweat blood because of the fear that he was facing. He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way, if there is any other way, Father, remove this from me. Take it away. But not my will, your will be done. And so Jesus obediently goes to the cross as the substitutionary sacrifice the Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of all of God's people and as the wrath of God for our sins falls on his shoulders, he is crushed. He cries out. It's the only time in all of Scripture he doesn't refer to God as his Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you understand, Jesus was not just brought to the point of death, he was actually brought through death. 
to resurrected life. He is alive. Jesus died. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him up and he lives. This is our hope, friends. This is our assurance that when your time here on earth is up, because of the person and work of Jesus on your behalf, that you too will go up to the house of the Lord and you will live in the house of the Lord forever. But the gift of our salvation is extraordinary. Right? It, it is a supernatural work of God alone. We, we cannot manufacture it. We cannot earn it for ourselves. We cannot put God in a position where we deserve it, where he owes it to us. No, salvation is holy and completely of the Lord. And so just like changing the course of the sun in the sky, it is an extraordinary event. It is something only God can do in our lives. However, God also works through ordinary means. And so let's take a moment to look at this. In fact, oftentimes what we see is that God accomplishes the extraordinary in people's lives through the ordinary. And in our passage, we see just how God is going to heal Hezekiah. In verse 21, we read, Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. So we're given a little more information about this sickness that he has. It involves a boil which seems to indicate an infection of some kind. And because he's to the point of death here, he's probably experiencing sepsis and is going through what, what we call septic shock. And God is going to miraculously heal King Hezekiah, but he's going to use ordinary means to do it. Isaiah tells them, take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil. And this is nothing new. This is, this is not groundbreaking here. This is a typical thing that they would do in those times in order to help someone heal in order to help treat an infection. And so just to put this into perspective for us, it would be like saying today, well, just go get some antibiotic ointment and a Band-Aid or, you know, a dressing of some kind. So Hezekiah prayed, God, do for me what I cannot do for myself. Heal me, bring me to life. And God uses ordinary means in order to accomplish the extraordinary in Hezekiah's life. And of course, the same is true for us today. There are all kinds of things that we call ordinary means of God's grace in our lives. The gathering of the saints for worship, the preaching and the teaching of God's word, prayer, uh, the ordinances of, of communion and baptism, our woodside groups, service opportunities. These, these are ordinary means by which God supernaturally works in our lives. Now, I know they look a little different nowadays, right? We're, we're all wearing masks and, and social distancing. We're limiting the number of people that we actually gather with. You might even be streaming this from online at home right now. But this is an incredible season, an incredible time where we have the ability to show up powerfully in the lives of the people all around us. People are lonely. People are hurting People have anxiety and fears that they don't even know what to do with. And they are expressing their needs to others like never before. And God can meet those needs and heal those pains through you. Do you see how transformative this is? I, what I'm saying is doctors and nurses and medicines are God's ordinary means to restoring health. Farmers are God's ordinary means 
to providing food. Teachers are God's ordinary means to providing wisdom and instruction. Parents are God's ordinary means for rearing and raising children. You see, when you begin to understand that God works through these ordinary means in our everyday lives, it changes the way that you see the world around you. And you find yourself asking different questions. You begin to ask things like, wait a minute, how can I be the means that God uses to help bring his blessing to others? You see, it, it propels us into action, into love and service of others. To what end? So that God can do for them what they cannot do for themselves by bringing them to new life and salvation through faith in Jesus. You understand, that is the primary mission of the church. It is our purpose to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign and rule of God through Christ. Through both our words and our works, by both declaration and demonstration. The Apostle Paul summarizes this well when he writes to the Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You see, we cannot simply remain recipients of the incredible gift of salvation. We must share the gospel. Having received Christ, we must also represent Christ to the world. And in doing so, you, the church, you become the ordinary means by which God can do the extraordinary in people's lives. God works through churches who do ordinary things. That's exactly what our vision videos have been highlighting all month long in the last series, that the church was made for such a time as this, not just to survive it, but to actually thrive in it. And so look, I know many people, myself included, we are just done with 2020. We are ready for a new year. We are ready to turn the page as it was and for things to just get back to normal or at least find a new normal. And I pray that it does. But just remember that biblically speaking, this life, our time here on earth is the obstacle course, right? So 2020 has brought us a number of obstacles and, and put it in our paths in a very short, condensed period of time. But this is not going to be the last unexpected crisis that comes your way. And so when that day comes, when an unexpected event, when an unexpected obstacle, when an unexpected crisis comes into our paths, let's resolve to fight fear with faith, to put Christ at the center of our crisis. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer and let's rely on the Lord's provision faithfully. We do it faithfully knowing that Jesus the Christ has come 
that he will come again to gather his bride to make all things new, a day when we won't ever have to worry about COVID-19 or cancer or sickness or sin or death ever again. But until that day comes, it is our honor. It is our privilege, our responsibility to live as ambassadors for Christ, representatives of King Jesus, proclaiming and displaying the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. And so may the good work that the Lord has already begun in us continue to extend through us in the coming years for his glory. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.